1: Greetings and salutations, my creative brothers and sisters. Welcome to the Not Real Art Podcast, where we celebrate creative culture and the artists who make it. I'm your host, Erin Yoshi. For the month of March, International Women's Month, I'm doing a podcast takeover to uplift women's voices in the arts. In an effort to create a world we want to see and bring equality to the art world, I've kindly asked Man One and Sourdough to step aside this month and allow for myself, a woman of color, to take the reins. To their loyal fans, don't worry, they will return next month refreshed and ready to go. And don't forget to like, subscribe, and comment on this episode to support our work. Now let's jump into it. A little about me. I go by Yoshi. I'm a creative strategist who paints murals. I'm a curator, event producer, and I've created festivals, built community-based arts projects for about two decades, and I've painted all over the world. I'm a former nonprofit executive, so I've seen the art world from the ins and outs, from the administrative side and as an artist. And I'm going to bring you some of my favorite women in the creative field to share their knowledge and experiences with you. They're brilliant, raw, and powerful and have a lot to share. Also, if you're in Los Angeles for the month of March 2021, I'm unveiling The Land of We, a solo exhibition unlike any others. It's COVID safe, It's a billboard exhibition, which will be showcased across Los Angeles. To find out more information and download the map, go to erinyoshi.com. In today's episode, we have Maria Jensen and Heidi Johnson, two of the foremost thought leaders in marketing and art events in California. Maria Jensen is recognized as a leader in the arts for advancing innovative strategies to sustain creative communities in the midst of a rapidly changing urban environment. As creative and executive director of Somart's gallery, Jensen has deepened the organization's commitment to racial equity, creating clear paths for Bay Area artists to cultivate new ideas and further careers. Through her leadership, Jensen has expanded Somart's public programs and advanced new public-private partnerships and fostered groundbreaking exhibitions such as The Black Woman is God and The Third Muslim, Queer and Trans Muslim Narratives of Resistance and Resilience, and many more. Prior to joining SOMARTS, Jensen was a key member of the SF-MOMA external relations team during the museum's expansion and was a founding director of ARPAD SF, an independent art fair launched in the Tenderloin of San Francisco. Heidi Johnson is an accomplished public relations strategist, artist manager, and self-made entrepreneur. She has worked in the entertainment industry, public relations, community relations, events, and communications planning, and in the art and design world for over 25 years. And this blend of experiences has led her to found her own arts management and PR firm, Hijinx Art. Most recently Heidi has worked as a publicist for the LA Art Show, designer Con, Branded Arts, and she's worked with artists and galleries which include Camille Rose Garcia, Risk, Human, Blake Little, Jim Mafood, and Yours Truly. But this is just the tip of the iceberg. She continues to work with big brands such as Nike's, Converse, American Express, and NYX Cosmetics. Now let's get into the episode. Thank you so much. We are so excited today to have Heidi Johnson, Maria Jensen here on the Not Real Art Podcast. These are two of the most amazing women in marketing and the arts. You know, Maria is coming from San Francisco, Heidi holding down Los Angeles. I'm so thrilled to bring them to the Not Real Art Podcast today. So thank you so much. We're going to dive right in and I'd love to ask you guys some questions. And maybe if we could even just start it from back in the day, you know, take us back. When did you guys first start working in the arts, or what even drew you to that?
2: I started my company in 2005, and I have an entertainment background. I grew up in Los Angeles. My parents, well, my mother was a creative, a writer, and so I grew up in a very creative household. However, it was a chaotic household, and I always felt... The need. I always felt like someone needed to be in charge. And so I always sort of fell into that role, which then led me into production, which led me into publicity. And I really loved publicity, but I didn't love the entertainment industry because I grew up in it. And so after moving to New York and a couple other agencies, and I came back to LA and I had a lot of friends that were artists because I grew up around artists. And I thought I would start doing PR for all those people that never could afford PR. And I, so I decided doing some independent stuff. And at first I was sort of taking every Weird event and like, you know, the Boobs and Blood Film Festival, Empire, Con- like every weird sort of thing. But that led me to comic book artists. And I started working with a comic book artist named Jim Mafood, who's a pretty big artist and that led me to street artists. And so my real inroad was street art. And, you know, at the time MoCA had the big beyond the streets and I grew up in LA and knew Robbie Canal very well. I knew that world. And so started working with artists and murals and it moved from PR to also some management because a lot of those artists didn't really know how to navigate the money part of it and asking for and things like that led me to human, Alison Torneros, who we started working together in the beginning of her career. And we worked together for a little over five years and really built her, her career. And then we parted ways. And by that point, I had started doing PR for galleries and separate artists and different big events. Fast forward, I do the PR for the LA Art Show. I do the PR for Designer Con, and then I manage some artists on the side. One being Camille Rose Garcia, and then I worked on your projects. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you in the middle of working on your project
1: I mean even to put it into some context you know like Heidi I saw you spoke at the not real art conference talk about full circle and you know I was so blown away i had seen you know I'd watched humans career really blow up over a kind of a very short period of time and I had I would you know, kind of watched it from before too, and so I was so impressed, I always really like it like i like I told you right away, you were on my vision board, not your face, but just the idea of working with you and so I was so excited for the opportunity just to reach out, and you know, I think it goes to show. I just cold emailed her, and you know just like went for it, totally went for it. I was like, I've had this on my vision board, it's on my to do it's a dream, I'm just going for it, and she was kind enough to see us. <laughs> Maria, what about
0: you? How did you get into the arts? I was just thinking that all roads lead to Aaron Yoshi, but we'll we'll pick that up another time. Well, I'm actually from LA. You know, I live in the Bay Area now, but I'm an LA transplant. And so I think this whole crazy journey for me really did start in Los Angeles. And my background is dance and theater, actually. And my husband's an artist and was also working in the film industry. So all of these kind of like intersecting cultural worlds, you know, we were always going to art events and art happenings and all of that. And I joined the Mocha Contemporaries when I was living in LA. And I always found it's kinda of interesting to go to these like behind the scenes curatorial visits, you know, with the contemporaries, but everyone seemed to be afraid of asking the artists or curators questions. It was like, if you asked a question somehow, either you were saying that you didn't understand art or you didn't understand curators or you didn't understand this whole thing. I would always ask what were obvious questions. The ones that people were afraid to ask, like, why did you choose this palette? You know, what really drove you to doing this work? (laughs) What was going on in your head? You know, like all the things that were like considered to be embarrassments. But then I noticed that as I would go to different art openings, all over LA. And Heidi, I'm surprised we didn't meet when I was in LA because there's a lot of people like, I know Shayna Anise Danbrough. I know, yeah, we know a lot of people, but I would go to these events and this is back in the day, as you said, Erin. And I always felt like you know, you go to a, this this art opening, but very few people seem to be looking at the art. They seem to be almost afraid to engage directly with the art. So they would talk to each other. They would wait for their friends to arrive or whatever celebrity happened to be popping by. And for a while, it was like Keanu Reeves was at like every other art event I went to. And I was like, it, look, it's Keanu Reeves. So Keanu would be looking at the art, but everybody's looking at Keanu looking at the art. And I'm like, why aren't you looking at the art? So there's some sort of social awkwardness that I kept picking up at art events so I launched this underground gallery called Salon Oblique in Venice, and it was in our home. And we built a home purposely to have these type of engagements around art. So I didn't have a business plan. I didn't really think about it. I just thought like, I want to have events where people can come, meet an artist, talk to an artist, feel very comfortable about it. And everyone kind of do this casual kind of networking thing. So I started by looking at art from folks who were getting their BA and not the MFA. I thought like, wouldn't it be interesting to kind of explore the early stages of an artist's path to see what they're kind of creating, as opposed to just always wanting to show who are the recent graduates. So I would go around to these different like studios, I'm like, hey, what are you doing? They're like, I'm doing this. I'm like, that's cool. I want to show your work. It was like, totally no no format to it. There wasn't really even a real curation, I would say, because I'm not a curator. But I would have these events, you know, And they started out with like, literally, it would be a few artists I knew and a friend who was into photography was photographing shells, which is like totally not interesting. And I wouldn't call it art. It was okay, but it wasn't like, you know, but that's who I knew. So I started with who I knew. And then I started thinking like, yeah, you know, I probably could escalate this or elevate this a little bit more to really focus on like people who considered their practice in their life and not necessarily a hobby per se the events went from 20 people to 30 people to 40 people then they were sro standing room only events i didn't do any marketing for any of this i didn't have any press no press releases it was just kind of literally a speakeasy type art event three floors of art activations all kinds of crazy things were happening in the you know salon tradition and then once in a while someone would come up to me and say I want to buy that painting on the wall. And I'd be like, wait, what? And they say, I want to buy that. And I'd be like, Oh shoot. I forgot this. This actually could be a business. I'm like, okay, we'll just wait here. And they're like cash, check or charge. And I go, no, I can't charge. Cause I'm not set up for that. So then it just gave me the idea. Like I really needed to take it a little bit more seriously and put a framework around it. And this was like something I truly love, which is the intersection of art, conversation, culture, cocktails, all of that. And then we decided to move to the Bay Area. It was during the horrible recession, real estate prices were falling. And also there was a horrible writer strike. So it wasn't the best of time to like move to, to the Bay Area, but I always felt like some sort of affinity with the Bay Area. And my husband went to Cal and, you know, we decided, well, let's just go to the Bay Area. I knew a handful of people, but when I came here, I think it was maybe six months or so later, I launched an art fair at the Phoenix hotel called ArtPad, which ran for like three years. So I arrived with a proposal, didn't know how I was going to get this thing to happen, but you know, I must've been a cat in another life. I'm thinking and landed on my feet with this Art Pad idea. And then after that went to SF MoMA and from SF MoMA, I'm now at Soma Arts. But I think my passion and through line is always around like, how do you get people together to get them to feel comfortable enough to engage with art, to learn about art, it's the best way to become a collector. And certainly for artists, it's like artists want you to engage with them, right? And then, of course, along the way, I met the wonderful, amazing Erin Yoshi, and we worked on stuff together. So, and here we are today. So, I'm still going at it, Erin. I feel like you and I
2: briefly met. Are you an art table? Yes. Okay, did you come down for that thing at the hood? I'm really good friends with Paige, Weary. Yes. Yes. Hi, Heidi. (laughs) Oh, my God. Yes.
0: Yes. I I know this story. I met this woman. (laughs) Oh, my God. Heidi, I kept thinking I must know Heidi. She's just too fabulous and too amazing. And in L.A. for me not to know who Heidi is. Yes. (laughs) Yes.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Oh, my God. (laughs)
1: oh wonderful see I knew it I'm like you two are way too amazing and your your star shines so bright how do you guys not know each other you know (laughs)
2: Oh my god! And that night, Paige said, "You need to know Maria. She's amazing." And I was like, "Okay." And like, kind of, you know. And then I think that was actually the holidays before everything went down. So,
0: oh my god, I remember, and we chatted for a little while too. It was just like one of those nights where it's just like you get a bunch of women together. Anyway, give us some cocktails, and we're just like, ah! <laughs> so great to see. Now it's no, so great, so great, so happy. Yes.
1: Fantastic. Yes, Maria, actually, that's how we met was through ArtPad. came to our office at Estria Foundation. And that was when I was the new executive director of this nonprofit. And, you know, we were a really, like, it must look like a college dorm room when you came in because we had this warehouse and, you know, we had kind of like this office with mixed match furniture. And everything, but we were just kicking off and we had this backing from Twitter. You know, one of the founders of our organization was one of the founders of Twitter. And so, you know, I was a new ED about to go running and Maria met us at the very, very beginning of this. So it was definitely, I, I thought it was a really, really exciting time. But yeah, I think you, you know, I give you so much faith because you came to us and gave us opportunity to showcase at RPAD where we got to do um, a Pecha Kucha presentation. And you totally, yeah, you totally took us in, you know, which I really love. Since we're on Artpad, talk to me a little bit about, you know, you what were your goals of this boutique experience with Artpad? It was kind of like a boutique fair. It was very intimate.
0: Well, I mean, I think for myself, and I think it's true for both of you, is that we're always trying to create opportunities where the bar to participate is low. And that doesn't mean low, like you don't have to be into arts and culture. I mean, there's not a lot of this pressure. Like you just sometimes, you know, you just want to feel welcomed and accepted and be able to be, you know, at all levels of art, whether you're a collector and you've been collecting for years or whether you're just like, I've never been to an art event and I'd love to check it out to every actual aspect in between. And I feel that what people want to do, like here we are in this pandemic, right? So I think about like what people really loved about all of those events that I've produced and Heidi that you produced and Erin that you produce, produced, people love to be around each other, number one. They just love the idea of being together, experiencing something. So for me, all of this work has been about the experiential, you know, first and foremost. And it's a level of engagement that just kind of opens the door for all kinds of possibilities. And I think that that's the work that we all are doing. That's our through line. It's like, we get so super excited to be able to have an event where we're launching artists who haven't been seen before, or we're introducing collectors to artists who hey, they haven't seen before. I think all of us have that little bit of salon diva in us that goes back to, you know, the bell epic times where, you know, we're social butterflies and, you know, what, Turns us on and gets us so excited is that level of engagement. And so I think that the very through line, the very basic goal I had was that it's just really how do we get people talking with each other and sharing with each other? And that's why people like going to art fairs and art events and cultural events in general. So, you know, we're all craving that right now. Like we can't wait to be around basically strangers who are interested in some of the same things that we're interested in. So that's kind of happened. And also with ArtPad, You know, the location of it was interesting because it was in the Tenderloin. And if folks don't know the Bay Area that well, the Tenderloin is also where the SRO hotels are located. There's a lot of people who live homeless people. It's considered the most kind of like unloved part of San Francisco. And I go to all the art fairs, as I know you both as well. And so you go to Art Basel and you kind of, you know, you almost like, land there. It's a very hermetically sealed experience in some ways. Like you don't have to see any part of the city. You can just go from your Uber ride into like this VIP experience and see nothing but VIPs. And it's all great clinking your glasses. But I think that in order to take art and culture in, like you want to frame it into like, where is this art taking place? And where is this community taking place? And how can what you do have an economic impact in these other Areas, right? So that's kind of why I liked where ArtPad was, you know, located. Right now at SoMa Arts, I'm underneath the One on One Freeway. So um, I guess I have <laughs> I have a need to be in these kind of like little hermetically hermetic places where I just, you know, or try to create these like really amazing things that people think shouldn't happen in these locations, you know. And I was actually told when I did ArtPad, someone. Told me they said, "Well, you're not going to get the ladies from Marin to come to your fair. They're not going to go to the Tenderloin." And I was one part of me was like, "Well, I wasn't really doing this for the ladies of Marin, firstly, but secondly, you don't know." And sure enough, one evening I was standing out front, and I'm not kidding you, it was like a stretch limo pulled up. I was trying to figure (laughs) out who is this. And three blonde women, middle-aged women, got out of that limo, dressed like you would not believe, with heels, all came teetering into this art fair, and we had to boot them out at the end of the night. So I always say, ha-ha, (laughs) (laughs) you know? And that's the difference between San Francisco and L.A. too, because in L.A., people are like, we're just doing this. We don't do this. San Francisco is a little bit more like... Well, we're not sure. We're not sure. Is this going to work? I mean, and did you talk to so and so about it? LA is kind of like we're doing this thing. Come if you want. You San know,
2: Francisco, yeah. San Francisco is more like New York, that th- I think, than LA is like New York. You know, I think LA there is sort of a, you know, even if you're at that upper echelon, there is sort of this feeling of like I want to get into some weird stuff like I want to go to some weird area and find some the next big thing because everything in LA is sort of like what's the next big thing you know so yeah I mean for me PR wise if you sort of always position it that way you're gonna get people to come oh yeah yeah
1: absolutely absolutely you know Heidi I feel like one thing that I always notice when I'm speaking with you is I can see your brain like turning it's like You know, like I can see as I'm talking to you, the strategy is developing and it's like I could see it blooming out of your head. You know, it's just like it's so powerful to watch. there have been great events and nobody shows up and there are great events and a ton of people show up. And I feel like you've you've worked on the spectrum for you. What is some of the strategy that you see like as a powerful tool for PR?
2: You know, like we were talking about is sort of. And, like, this is something new, and you definitely want to be on the ground floor of this. And, you know, and that always starts with the press release and how you sort of weave that story. And I also, because I, come from a different sort of PR background where I worked at agencies and stuff. And what I was really taught was like less about just getting the information out. Like you really need to weave the story together for journalists. I was taught that journalists are lazy and you need to spoon feed them the story, you know what I mean? So that's how I always approach it with sort of, and, you know, and I also knew with moving into art, I knew that the one thing that I thought was missing in art at that time. in you know, the early two thousands was they hadn't fully embraced PR in the way that other industries had. And I thought like, you know, especially like with Alison human. And I just thought if some of these artists just had a little bit of PR behind them, people would come in droves. Like people just don't know about this stuff because honestly, you know, art, you know, unless you're on the top tier of art, there isn't the kind of money being blown the way that other industries do. So there isn't a lot of money to pay a publicist or to have someone do that for you. So I felt that like, if I could start working with artists in that way and use PR as a means to really pick up the hype and all that. And it was also a time that social media was really taking off. And I even being a little bit older than that, you know, I realized that social media was going to be the thing. And I basically built my business on Facebook and Instagram. And just by getting story after story after story, posting all the events, you know, I was one of the first people to like post all the images from the parties, So everyone wanted to be tagged. You know what I mean? Like, Became so it was like oh I want to go to that because they you know they're gonna have a photographer and there'll be pictures and they're just building now it's like oh <laughs> but you know then <laughs> it was like Sunday morning you looked on social to see if there who was at that art opening and like you know so I just realized there were a few different arms and if they were all used together that you could build a lot of hype and luckily when I put that model behind artists that I thought were really good, but just weren't getting any attention, it really worked. And it was kind of a magic combination, you know, we evolve and things change and trends change. So things are different. I think most of the really great smaller events, gallery events that I did with in Chinatown with Greg Escalante, who was a great mentor of mine and a great friend. And so he had a gallery in Chinatown for the last part of his life. And, I worked with him side by side on that. And that was one of the best experiences of my life. And also we just created these crazy events because he had these great visions. He showed... The most, I mean, yes, the juxtapose artists, but also he went out of his way to find artists that were just so out there, but so interesting, you know, and then he had like live, you know, it wasn't your standard art opening where you're all like, oh, gotta be, you know what I mean? White glove it. It was super fun. It was like a fun event. And so we started doing those and I just, and now that experience has taught me, you know, now I've moved into doing AR events, VR events, things like this. And just like, you know, I think that shaped me in what you were saying, Maria, about it being an experience and less about just like this art opening, you know, where everyone's super stiff and afraid to ask any questions to an experience where everyone's comfortable and loose and wants to rap and wants to talk to the artist. And you know what I mean? And and I think that's where we're moving, at least in my world, really making these an experience and that you're really get into an artist's head. They've got this gallery for a month. What do they do with it? you know what I mean? And I think making it, these events, you know, just more interactive and open. And, you know, for years, I also was intimidated to go to galleries and ask questions. I always felt like, well, I don't know enough and I don't, and I'm not going to buy, like, I don't, you know what I mean? Like I shouldn't ask any questions. That might be the air that you feel, but it's not the truth because now that we're in this, every gallery I know, because I'm like, They're like, no, no, we love, we want people to make appointments, whether they're buyers or not. Like, we want to talk about the work. We want people to come in. In some respects, I'm finding galleries are enjoying by appointment because they're getting people in there who really do ask questions and whether they buy or not, but they're actually like learning about the artist and they're not just there for the glass of wine and, you know. (laughs) I think that it's on the person showing the art, but it's also on the viewer to feel comfortable and confident enough that you're allowed to ask questions and know as much as you like and really kind of submerge yourself in the work.
1: Absolutely. Maria, you know, when we actually first met, well, uh, probably, I guess, the second time we started working together was when I asked you to come and do marketing and PR for the Estria Battle. We had this two-week festival where it was like a film festival, a gallery exhibition, and it all launched with this, you know, massive music festival, six sound stages, 10,000 people. And we were like, you know, everything was segmented. And I think you came in and and that's what I loved about you. You know, you were like, we need to bring this together. Like you're packaging this in way too many. you know, every event was like kind of promoted separately in its own little ethos. And you came in with like a strategy for it. And so, you know, Maria, I guess I just ask you in some of your strategic mind about when you start doing marketing for events, what are some of the things that you think about?
0: Thank you for that question, but I just want to say, Heidi, you're so infectious like I just want to jump in. people can't see you, but I just want to just go inside your mind. you're so right. I see the wheel spinning, and I think in order to answer the question you're posing right now, Aaron, it actually goes back to some of the things that Heidi was just kind of talking about too which is like the narrative building and the storytelling aspect of things like you know the framework for things and so when you think about all these disparate things that are happening it still needs to have like a particular like a snapshot in time right that's how i tend to look at things like how do you crystallize for other people because that's the hard work of marketing and you know, promotion, you can't talk about everything, because then it would be the longest press release ever. Or, you know, you'd have multiple, multiple pages of information. But I think it's really the work is at least the way that I approach it. And it sounds like you're similar, Heidi, but I won't speak for you, which is, you know, really synthesizing things, right. And so it takes a little bit of time. And I'm not a marketing specialist, and I'm certainly not a publicist. I leave that expertise to someone like Heidi, but from what I've learned in how do you package things, because that's what you do for an art fair. That's what you do for festivals and some other like art events too. And I know at Soma Arts, we've had our own struggle with like, we've got this, we've got this, we've got this. And I think it really sometimes is like, we're looking out to this vast universe of all these beautiful stars that are like dotting the sky, but how do you create a constellation out of it? And so that's the work that I think of when I think about marketing. And you want to think literally like what's the North star of this, whether it's like the key moment or a key speaker, key performance, you know, and why is it key? And then you unpack like, because it relates to social justice or it relates to contemporary art coming out of Europe, or it relates to this, where do you see the themes And then how do those things get distributed for all the other stars that are out there? And you give them some love by, you know, illuminating and lighting all the different pieces that they're bringing to this bigger North Star reality. And that's what I learned from working with you, Erin, because to be honest with you, I was quite nervous and intimidated to to, you can say all this stuff years later (laughs) it's like I don't know know if I was (laughs) equipped to really take on the work at the time but I was willing to say yes I could totally do this you were totally
1: ready I was like Maria's amazing she's gonna make this happen and just your vision like the way that you could package it in that way that constellation idea which I totally will reuse I will quote you but I'll reuse it you know it's just that vision that you have Absolutely.
0: Thank you. Yeah. I mean, it's fun. It's fun for us, right, Heidi? I mean, all of us, we really do yeah. enjoy it, right? I think it's kind of like I have this philosophy of or feeling like I think there there are those of us who are well suited to create something out of chaos. Like we like things that are chaotic. And then we try to, like, really try to make sense out of it just so we can present it to other people. The chaos is still there. We're not removing, like, the chaos of a festival, or the chaos of an art fair. But it's just, like, someone kind of has to make some sort of sense out of it and frame it. Like, I was thinking about how people, like, manage Burning Man, like, as an example. Like, that's a tremendous big annual festival, right?
2: Well, I mean, similar is I do the PR for the LA art show and I've done it for, I think I'm, this will be my fourth year and you know, the l a r it's been around 25 years. It's had yeah. great, years, not so great years and <laughs> it's a lot of chaos. I mean, there's, it's not, you know, we're like, you're going to a freeze, you know, the kind of work you're getting and you know, you know, but the LA art show is just a big hodgepodge of everything. And like, I remember my first year there, I was just like, and I had to actually, for the first time, say like that's not really going to get you pressed. This is going to get you pressed. Let's pull this out. Let's bring this together. This is what's important, you know, and they were sort of like, whoa, (laughs) we did really great that year press wise, you know, it's when it's too chaotic, you really have to find that center. And it's not that it can't have a lot of different arms and, but there needs to be that North star and it needs to inform everything else. And think that, you know, you have to collect your thoughts and your plans in that way. Another, I'm not going to name the gallery, but there's another gallery that I worked with for a little while that's in LA, but they always have three consist, they have three shows running at all times. And when I went in, I just said, you know, we're going to have a hard time pitching three shows that don't really connect in any way. I would suggest, let me tell you what I think is pressworthy and we'll go from there. They were adamant about always pitching the three shows and it was Such a struggle, you know, because press just felt like all we're getting is press releases from this gallery all the time. It just became like it it didn't it didn't work for them. It was actually exhausting, you know, and it didn't work because we couldn't sort of hone in on one thing on each show.
1: I'm just curious because obviously both of you are such powerhouses, but you know, I feel like that we're going to hire you to do our
0: press, <laughs> our personal publicity. We're going to hire you. I'll, just be your, I'll be your hype man.
1: Okay, <laughs> just take me places. I'll hype you up in the background. You'll tell me where. Both of you, I feel like have really really excellent networking skills and i feel like it's a uh, utmost importance in your industries and really in, in any way if you're trying to be an entrepreneur you're trying to do something new you have to be a strong networker for both of you maybe to start with you heidi what are some of your tips for people trying to develop their network are there things that you know you really think have honed it for you
2: you know it's funny i don't always think of my i mean i'm obviously i network but i don't think of myself when i think of a networker you know like i I'm actually like a kind of shy person, and I'm kind of introverted. It takes like events. I gotta like, all right, we're going to work. You know, like it's like that. And I think for me, falling into the art world, I, you know, I did that thing where you sort of. My thing is, is I've been. I like to be the connector, so I like to bring people together. So if I connect with someone, and then I think they'd be good with someone else, and, and building upon that has sort of helped me because I've connect others, but I don't know. I, and I, I think Maria as well, it, this industry is, is pretty small, you know, and I think it's who your friends are. And if you make, if you keep good friends and you, you know, not everyone's going to be your best friend, but if you don't piss anyone off and you, you, know, you do a good job, and, you know what I mean? It, I feel like it's like we're all part of the same community and I really try to leave a good impression I make friends with people within my industry, I check in with people I try to keep it at a real authentic and human level because I don't like to be networked to like it's weird to me and again I think I learned that from being in the entertainment industry because you learn early on like don't be too anything you know <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah you have these extreme boundaries when it's just too much right it's like it's over the top
2: (laughs) but I mean if there's something I'm really looking to get into or there's a place that I haven't you know I kind of look at the situation I see if I know anyone around the situation that can sort of help me get to the person I need to get to or something like that but and then sometimes I've cold called, like if there's a thing that I want to do or I want to be involved in, I'll just straight. I mean, Roger Gatsman. although I didn't get hired for this, but I was like, hey, I want to do PR for Beyond the Streets. We took a meeting and all of that. And it just wasn't the right fit. You know, sometimes you just got to go for it if it's something you feel really passionate about. And that was something that I felt like this is so me and I should do this. You know what I mean? And, and I pushed my way in, but. <laughs> <laughs> that's a big part of networking. Yeah, that's it. Uh, but like I mean, LA art show happened because I worked for Greg Escalante on the Little Topia section of LA art show for years, which is like the lowbrow section, which is always like the, you know, the redheaded stepchild of the fair, you know, and they just all kind of watched me for years sort of hustling and I got more press for that section than they could get for the whole fair sometimes. And so they finally were like, hey, so yeah. it's. Hanging out and
0: doing a good job, you
2: know, (laughs) and eventually they'll be like, Hey, what's she doing?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely, absolutely. Longevity is part of your plan, I see. (laughs) It's just like, it's funny because. When you mentioned networking, Aaron, at first I was thinking like, okay, well, when did that become a thing? Like when was networking, when did that start? Was that the 70s? I think it was an 80s thing, right? Just the idea of networking. I know I probably have like a box of different types of cards that I printed for networking purposes. Like not sure what to put as a title if I didn't have like a job somewhere or what font do I use? What type of card? Like a smooth one, <laughs> matte. <laughs> Golden boss. I mean, who am I? What card do I give out? Then for a while I had like three different cards depending on who I was meeting. Like this seems like straight business. This person's gonna love that Helvetica font with just my name and my number and just whatever. But I think that you kind of nail it on the head too, Heidi, which is like just being authentic, obviously, and not offending anyone. And you know, I was thinking San Francisco it's a city of bridges, so you don't wanna burn any or blow any up. You might have a few that, you know, over the years we'll develop a few potholes. I mean, it's just hard to avoid because we're humans. But I always think now the way that I think of like networking is kind of funny because I was also very, very resistant to the idea of LinkedIn. I thought LinkedIn was like the worst thing to that they could possibly ever like develop it. It's a great tool. And you think like artists don't really think about using LinkedIn. They think it's like for business people or whatever, but I recommend artists, you know, I think most artists now have become hip and savvy enough to know that this is also advantageous to have like a LinkedIn profile as much as you might hate it and resist it. I urge you to do that. I also urge people to post articles that they think are interesting because the thing about, these social media platforms, it's not just entirely about your artwork or entirely about you. People just want to know what's inside your head because they read an article and they go, Oh, that person's really interested in what's happening in social justice. Or this person is interested in, you know, gender issues. This person's interesting in something else. And it gives people a view into your work. So that when you do want to approach a gallery, a curator, they have more to look at than just like, I'm an artist. I really want to sell my work. Please help me. And just personally, I've learned that it helps to be curious. Like, what are you curious about? Why do you want to network with certain people? I do great networking by, I call it one part espionage, where I'm reading an article about someone. So I Google their name and I'm like, do I know them in Facebook? Do I know them in LinkedIn? And I actually just sent a, literally yesterday, I read an interesting article about this tech CEO, which in San Francisco is like, tech CEOs, boo, get out of here. And they're leaving in droves. But this one fellow wrote a beautiful, thoughtful article about why he was staying and how he wanted to connect with the community. I thought, hmm, connecting could mean to arts and culture. So I did my little research, found him on LinkedIn, sent a message, you know. So, you know, you have to have a reason behind connecting with people because just to connect with, I'm going to connect with all the art dealers I know. I'm going to connect with all the collectors I know. First of all, everyone's very suspicious. And so they'll see that that's just literally kind of a selfish pursuit. But if you make it more about like, I really want to connect with you. I think we have something in common or I think we have things that we can kind of talk about in that authentic way. So networking, I don't know if there's a different word for it. I think what you're saying too that's really important is that when you go
2: to approach a gallerist or a curator, or in my case, if you're approaching a media person, you really need to do your homework on the person. Like I know there's a lot of young publicists who reach out to writers and things like that and they haven't ever read anything the writers even written and that's the problem. That's right same thing with a curator. If you can't reference their last couple shows or you can't, you know what I mean? You really need to do your homework before you just blindly send stuff out. And I think that that's, that's really important because, you know, these people, they are being inundated and they get a hit up all the time. So they are suspicious and they are on guard. But if you can get in there and be like, hey, you know, I just read your last piece in the LA Times and it was amazing. And I, you know, I, however you relate in that way, it will just, it'll resonate. And so I think it's important to make sure you do your homework when you start reaching out
1: absolutely absolutely I love that sleuth because I feel like I like to do that too before I meet with people and you know it's like at least for me I only want to approach people when I feel it's like the right timing you know it's like when I'm ready when it's the right circumstance of it it feels like it's a natural fit where it's not so forced you know when you feel that forced element then I feel like people kind of get hesitant a little bit I also wanted to ask you guys I'm sure you get hit up by artists all the time or when, you know, artists want to work with you. What are some of the things that you look for in an artist that wants to work with somebody like you in the field? So maybe to start with you, Heidi, if an artist wants to work with like a publicist, what are some of the things you think they should be ready for?
2: Well, in the beginning, you know, it was really just an artist who had the drive and really had a clear vision of what they wanted for their career. Because it's very easy for me to say what I think you should do, but it works better. And it's what I do is collaborative with the artist, you know, so it's not just on me. And I know a lot of times, and again, this is you know, like Maria, I wear a couple of different hats. So when we put on the management hat and I look at artists, you know, I like to see that they've put some footwork in. Do you know what I mean? I'm a little past taking on a total newbie now. I mean, I still work with emerging and things like that, but I want to know you've, you've done a show, you have a little bit of experience. You've been around a little while in that sense. So you have a little bit of an understanding of how it works. And then when an artist approaches me, I like to know that they have a vision in mind. Like you, Erin, you know, you had a vision board of what you wanted to see happen. And for me, it's it's great because I want also want a roadmap of what you want for your career because I'm really the soldier. I'm the one who take your plan and then I march on and see what I can do from there it was funny when I first started in PR, I used to ask, not artists, but any client, like, what's your dream? What's the dream you want to, you know, and it was always Oprah. I want to be on Oprah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but at least having, you know, at least there's some, and with young artists now, especially street artists and, you know, who haven't always been in the gallery system and don't quite understand how it works. But I want to know at least that, you know, what galleries do you like? What is a gallery, you know, and there are a small amount of galleries that fit into that genre, but I want to know that you know Think Space or you know Corey Helford Gallery, you know Mary you should know the history of Mary Karnowski you know what I mean, like these are things that I just feel like I look for an artist to have an understanding of the career that they want to go into.
1: Yeah, I remember an artist told me along the way, give yourself six years of really trying to push in the gallery world before you even like approach some of those folks. Like You have to put in a good amount of work where you've exhibited a lot, where you know how to throw events, where you know how to promote yourself, just to at least a basic level. So that way, then when you do step forward with some of those larger galleries that you know, you're ready, you know, you, you've put in the groundwork. Maria, you get hit up all the time, I'm sure, with so many as well with so many artists or curators. What are some of the things you look for in the shows that you like to present?
0: Yeah, well, first of all, I think we know that there's a tremendous number of artists. There's a tremendous number of curators. I mean, I'm married to one, so you know, I get the sense that there's just a legion of artists and talent. So it can be overwhelming for an artist or curator to think that they'll even rise above all the other voices that are kind of clamoring for attention too. And there's no remedy for that. It's just an acknowledgement more than anything else that, you know, there's a lot of desire. And so it's a little bit of like what you're both saying too. It's like, I think about vision. I think about commitment and I think about, honestly, I think about thoughtfulness. Like does someone, is someone even aware that, Maybe their email or submission is catching me at a very busy time or maybe, you know, in their communication, are they kind of cognizant of, like I said, this bigger world? And I think about all of that because... I feel that the way you approach people is also how you're going to work with them. And so if you approach people in a very demanding fashion, or, you know, in some ways, I'm this great artist, why hasn't anyone discovered me kind of thing? It's kind of like, oh, that might be a lot for me to try to take on and maybe the path isn't A gallery, but like literally a therapist to work through some other issues that might be holding you back, not to be offensive, but you know, it's just a lot. So, you know, I do get a lot of LinkedIn requests. We all get a lot of Facebook requests. And the thing is, I actually do look at them because one thing I try to be committed to is. I'm going to look at things and when it makes sense, I will send a response or something that says, thank you. Your work is lovely. Thank you for reaching out. Here's what I suggest when I have time, but it's such a, a pressure to try to keep up with all of the requests that we get while we're managing the people that we are kind of committed to working with or contracted to work with that I just do what I can I, I do the, the the very best you know that I can and I think that it's also an indication of like how our art schools in the country have been failing. Our art students, those folks that are going through MFA programs where they're not getting the kind of direction that they need. And interestingly enough, I didn't think about this until now, but I could see where if they were consulting with a publicist or someone in PR, that almost might be a more reasonable place to start is someone who's going to help shape your narrative, help give you the words to talk about your work. Because I think artists sometimes are great at creating, but To talk about their work or to talk about it in a business sense or to talk to a curator, to talk to a, you know, they kind of need a certain amount of coaching to kind of be that step. So I kind of feel like that's great work that you're doing, Heidi, for so many artists.
2: I think actually I used to say when I would speak on panels and stuff I I would say to young artists that it's very important that you learn how to like talk about your art and write about your art and you might want to start writing about your art so you know how to talk about your art because if you're standing in front of someone and you can't really articulate your work not everyone's going to want to look at your phone and, and you know and <laughs> that's, that's right, right. <laughs> that's right. So I just feel like, you know, that's something that's really important and, and really honing in your message as an artist and who you are. And that comes from just sitting down and writing, and even if that's stream of conscience. And then you kind of work it out from there. You know, a lot of times when I take on an artist, I ask them to stream of conscience and then send it my way. And then yeah. I kind of build it from there,
0: you know. Yeah, yeah. It's funny how really so much of this is, is about narrative. It's mm-hmm. about building your narrative, it, no matter what field you're in. And I think sometimes this can be helpful to artists. It's not even just artists who are trying to find their way, but any professionals trying to find their way, even if you're trying to get a job in marketing or as an executive director or as an arts administrator, you know, you want to look at kind of like your history is also part of your artwork It's so important to Drill down on that personal narrative and to be able, like you said, Heidi, I think it's brilliant. If you can write about it, you can talk about it. And, you know, it's a great way to, I call it diva prep because nobody has to see this. You can talk to a friend, send it to someone, hey, I wrote this. What do you think? You know, and then when you go into a setting, you know, because the art world is full of happenstance. And that's what artists need to prepare themselves for is that literally one day you're going to bump into Gagosian. I mean, I'm not saying it's going to, happen for every artist, but, but, you know, you bump into people, you, yes, literally, you. you yes. literally do, you know, and you, you have these moments. I bumped into somebody at the, at Freeze LA last year it was so super crowded. I couldn't deal with the crowd inside. So I went outside, I was getting a hamburger and I bumped into like this top art critic who i not, I don't have a reason to really talk to them, but I thought it was interesting because I literally elbowed them. I'm like, Hey, aren't you blah, blah, blah. And he's like, yeah, I am. I read your articles. Oh, really? And it's just a feeling that you make that personal connection and have a narrative. And I talked to him about what I did, 60 seconds, because we're both really hungry. But nonetheless, (laughs) you want to kind of think about, and you want to imagine, because one thing I think is missing from all of our processes, especially helpful for artists and curators, there's nothing wrong with fantasizing about running into the list of people that you've created that you would like to meet someday. But have you even created that list? Who do you really want to meet? Where do they live? Are they far away? Is during this pandemic a great time to reach out to someone because we're all a little bit more accessible? But can you thoughtfully do that? And why do you want to reach out to this one person, right? What do you know about their gallery that is going to maybe have an impact in how your work gets viewed or whatever? So I think that there's a little bit of homework that has to go into all of this. And I know artists have done a lot of homework, so I'm not saying anyone out there has not. But it's a process. It's arduous. I think we've all chosen very difficult fields. But I think artists certainly and curators, you know, it's a challenge. But it doesn't mean you can't be successful at it. It just means you just have to stick with it.
1: I love that because there's no like, you know, pill. There's no quick remedy for any of this. It's like you put in the work, you show up, you give your best, you know, you do your research in advance. I mean, there's so much, I think, to all those tips that you just kind of dropped. I got to ask you guys too, because I have so many questions for you, but I got to ask you too, you know, we're women and women in the field have so much less recognition. We have so much less opportunities and opportunities really breed experience. Without opportunities, you don't get the experience. You don't have the experience. You can't get more opportunities. So, you know, are there ways that you see that we need to get more women or what do you think that we can do to bring more women into the industry moving
2: forward? we got to create more opportunities. I mean, it's, it's happening. I mean, we're seeing, you know, I think this year has definitely changed the game, but will it stick? Is my, you know, I know everyone's jumping on that bandwagon. I mean, there's there's galleries out there that have never shown a Black artist that are now showing Black artists all the time, which is great that they're giving that opportunity, but will it stick? And that to me is really important. And I am definitely one of the, I mean, you know, I'm pretty loud and vocal politically on social media and all that, and I haven't really toned that down. I will hold people accountable because I think this is the one sliver of a window that we have to push through that, you know, people of color, women, LBGTQ, like this is the time, just break it down. So I just really push and push. I've started mainly working with female artists and believe me in you know Allison Human in the day as a street artist was getting no love no respect men treated her horribly out there on the street doing her murals and things like that and still she doesn't you know she doesn't get paid the same as Tristan Eaton and yet she's on the same caliber you know so i just think that it's important to hold people accountable and that's not always the best Role for the artist. I know they want to still stay likable. So if you have a person who's advocating for you and working for you, I think that this is a good time to have someone like that. Because I'm I'm definitely a person who pushes through, and I I will call out the gallery or something like that if I feel that there's an issue that's beyond just their own personal taste or their programming or whatever. You know what I mean? But it's it's happened. I mean, through this, there's been a couple. You know, like you said, I, you know, not putting bridges, but there's definitely some potholes that I've made.
0: But... <laughs> <laughs> Gotta make a few potholes. Just got gotcha. Yeah. It's going to happen. Every once in a while, It's like, I'm sorry, there's a little bit of road. I got to tear up in order to make this work.
1: <laughs> yeah. I love it because I feel like you both do that so well. You know, you the way that you advocate for artists, you, you know, I, I know like Maria, when we worked on a project together, they were really talking about like the artists we should paint with the prime colors. And you were like, very straight up, you're like, that's boring like no and i was like thank you maria <laughs> like don't, oh my don't
0: make- <laughs> i was so afraid of like losing that commission for you all but there was a company whose name shall you know go nameless in this moment but they love primary colors and they wanted to have all these artists And they were just like can they work with this palette and i'm like red green, yellow, blue. Are you crazy? And I heard myself like, oh my God, you're in a meeting with like all these other like honchos of this like tech firm. I'm like, ah, screw it. They really should know better than that. Artists are not going to work in primary colors. But I think one of the things that I was thinking about when you both were talking about this moment for women and how do we have more women artists, women curators, all of that. I mean, you know, women who are in certain positions have to be willing to open the doors for other women and not be afraid. Like, so when there's time to discuss like a year's exhibitions and they see that, Oh my God, so many more men than women on this list of potential exhibiting artists, the female curator, that's her opportunity to then say, Nope, we're going to go in this direction. So we have women who are placed in very significant positions, parts of the art world. And Heidi and Erin, you're also part of this, of course, but it's our responsibility. We have to mentor other women and we have to figure out what's the path to do that. And we can't be afraid to bring these things up in these conversations. I do it all the time. And I know you all do as well. And we want to encourage other women to do likewise, because sometimes I think there could be a fear with speaking up, you know, and I think if you're a woman right now, and you are still having trouble finding your words, you need to get in touch with these three women on this podcast, and we will show you the way because the time is the, you know, we've run out of sand in the hourglass. Speak up now, or forget it. And as we move into a new administration, which will have its impact on everything we do, this is going to be an opportunity where we're going to see more women. We have a female vice president. So yeah, things are going to be changing for sure. Thank God.
2: And being ready with solutions, because I recently was on a call with a big mural festival that's going down in Queens. And they're like, we're so excited. We're so hyped. Here's our list of artists. And it's every dope street artist from New York, but it's all dudes. And I'm the only female in the call. And I'm like, so what about female artists? Yeah. We were thinking, about, you know, we can't find any. And I'm like, I mean, within 10 minutes, I sent them a list. I was like, here you go. And I was like, I'm really going to preface this needs to be 50, 50. Like you need to. Nice. And they're starting to work on it. They're like, nice. Okay. sometimes they do. Sometimes if it's all male, they just, it doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't, it doesn't yeah. sink in. I'm more concerned about other women who hold other women back as opposed to just like men have to be re-taught. Yes. Yes. mm -hmm. Exactly.
1: yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I feel like a lot of times when they use that excuse, like, oh, we just don't know any women. There just aren't that many. Like, well, you either need to bring in a curator that knows it or bring somebody on your team that knows those women because they're out there. Women are graduating from art school at a higher number than men. There are more women artists out there, though they aren't as successful or they're not getting the same opportunities, but we're out there. And I think that that's just a an excuse that people have used to not do
0: their homework. It's just a lame excuse. I mean, one time I was in a group where it was a similar conversation and all these guys were talking about, we just can't find, we just done this. That's why I was gasping. And I said, well, all of you were birthed from a woman, Correct. And if you look around and see all of these like men out there, then you need to start seeing a woman every time you see a man and then start doing a math that way. And then come back to me and tell me that you you don't understand or uh, know that there are women out there doing different things. It was just kind of like, come on, this kind of, you know, misogynist perspective. I mean, the museums are toppling because of that. Right. So that's a narrative that we don't even have to. I feel we don't have to worry about as much. Honestly, I just, I think again, it's literally like how do we also encourage other women to just be brave enough? Like you, Heidi, being the only woman at that meeting and saying, nope, I'm putting up, it's just like a black person being at a meeting and someone saying, well, we can't find, I've heard this before. Like, why don't we have a black curator here? Well, we just couldn't find any black curators. I'm like, well, the first thing you need to do is look.
1: yeah Yeah, ask around start doing some did you did you look (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I think that, you know, for like my mo- my mother's generation, I could see that she'd always talk about how women would close the door behind them. You know, they get through and there were so few positions that they would just close the door behind them. And I think it's super important for our generations to really like hold the door open and kind of throw the rope back. You know, I-, I always think about all the women that threw the rope back for me along the way and taught me. And so I try and like also in the same way, you know, it's so important for us to hold the door open for those that are coming next. I could talk to you ladies all day. If we had wine, forget it. It would be over. I want to respect your time. I know you're both extremely busy. I'm going to start with you, Heidi. You know, what are you working on right now? And then how do people find you so if they can follow up?
2: Well, you know, obviously events being a big thing this year was a little bit of a challenge. I just wrapped up. I've been working with Labasse Projects and Hudson Projects to release an artist group, which has been really fun. A little bit different for me doing the marketing for that, and we're just about to fund that. And then we're gearing up for the LA Art Show. The LA Art Show is planning a late summer live show, timed entry, very small, a little bit different you know, as long as we're all safe and we're good we get the green light, I'm I'm excited about it. I think even if you know the LAR show's been around for twenty five years and you know, if they're the first thing that comes out the gate to sort of get the art economy going, then let's go for it, you know. So that's happening and then a couple of you know, I've always got other little 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 randoms going on. So
1: <laughs> fantastic. Good. And how do people find you, you know, where are you online with your social handles?
2: My website is hijinksarts.com. And then I'm on Instagram, also hijinksarts. And also, I think it's under hijinks PR on Facebook. I just have a business page on Facebook, not
0: a uh, personal anymore.
1: Fantastic. Fantastic. And Maria, what are you working
0: on right now? And how do people follow up with you? Heidi, I love that you said you have a lot of randoms going on. I have a lot of randoms too, so I won't list all the randoms. It's just, you know, I'm at Soma Arts, so we have so much going on. I mean, we've moved everything into this virtual reality, right? And it hasn't stopped us. In fact, we're launching a, a series tonight that starts with writers. We're moving into doing things with writers and filmmakers, and it's called Lush. We decided to serialize because everyone got so used to taking in content like Netflix. Everything was like, you know, these little bits and pieces. But, you know, we launched our curatorial residency program season is kicking off as well. So the best thing for people to do is to go to Soma Arts, and it's S-O-M-A-R-T-S dot org and you will find me. You will find all of our programming. And for artists and curators, you'll also get a chance to see how you might plug in and create proposals for... We always look at artist proposals and curatorial proposals. So just get in touch with us there. And my Instagram, which I have to be honest with you, send shelter in place. I don't know what happened to me in Instagram. We didn't have a falling out. I just don't know. I just kind of... I don't know.
2: I Facebook, I was like... I.
0: I might be the most boring person on Instagram, but if you must know, I'm Art Catalista, and it's, I don't know, sounded out. (laughs) (laughs) Just as it's, it's spelled the way it sounds, I eventually will make my way back to Insta or IG, but Soma Arts has its own Instagram as well. So if people want to reach me, they should just go to somaarts.org. I say Soma Arts as if there's two A's. That's why I spelled it for you. It's only one A, -A S-O-M-A-R-T-S.org. And I look forward to hearing from anyone who wants to reach out to me, just send me a note.
1: Yay. Well, thank you both so much. The Not Real Art audience is so lucky to have you both. You're like the most dynamic women. I'm so lucky to know you, to work with you, and I'm so thankful for you giving me your time today. So thank you so much and have a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you. What a great
0: show. Thank you so much, Erin. Hey there. Thanks for tuning in. Please be sure to like this episode, write a review, and share with your friends on social. And if you haven't already done so, please press the subscribe button and follow us on Instagram at notrealartworld. If you're an artist, be sure to apply for our 2021 Artist Grant at notrealart.com. Sourdough, out.